hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. A couple of mornings ago, I was out running right at sunrise, which is what I love to do. And as I was tooling down antelope or up antelope, I was listening to a conference talk. And all of a sudden, I experienced a life-changing epiphany. It wasn't one of those great bells and whistles and angels kinds of things. It was could be described more as a tiny attitudinal course correction with eternal consequences. And as I thought about it, I tried to think of a way that I could share it with you. And of course, a story came to mind. <laughs> so if you don't mind, here is the story. It was a life-changing moment, to be sure. It was a beautiful Saturday morning. I left our home in Blackfoot, Idaho, well before sunrise, bound for Star Valley, Wyoming, and particularly going to Afton. I was driving a semi-truck, I think I was driving a late model Kenworth at the time, and pulling two trailers. My loaded weight was 105,500 pounds, 52 and a half tons. Well, I left Blackfoot, as I said, before sunrise, went around through Pocatello over to Soda Springs and then turned north out of Soda Springs and went up over the Grays Lake Wild Refuge and up over Tin Cup Pass and down the other side. I just came out the bottom into Star Valley and was going around the last curve on the highway before it came to a junction and turned right into Freedom, Wyoming. Those of you that know the valley, you know right where I am. When all of a sudden, I looked over in my right side mirror and realized I had drifted too close to the shoulder, and my rear trailer, it's called the pup trailer, drifted wide into the turn, caught the soft shoulder, and was pulled off the highway, down into the borrow pit. I tried to get the trailer back up on the road, but there was nothing I could do. The pup slid sideways and started plowing dirt. And then, I will never forget this, I watched in helpless horror as that pup trailer reared up on one set of wheels, hung there for just a second, and then slammed down on its side with a great whoomp. Well, it was a tanker. The rounded aluminum side of that trailer now caused that trailer to go careening wildly all over the road. It went from one side of the highway to the other, tearing itself apart as it went. I didn't dare slam on the brakes because with no brakes on that trailer, it would come around to hit me and do more damage. The only thing I could do was coast to a stop, letting the loaded rig, that trailer, literally dragged me to a stop on that narrow two-lane country road. When the dust finally settled, there I sat, blocking most of the road with my blunder, evident for all the world to see. There was absolutely no doubt 
whose fault it was, who made the mistake, and all the world could see it. Well, there I sat, waiting. It took two super wreckers and most of the day in that remote location to get that trailer back up on its wheels and me on my way again. The rollover demolished the whole one side of that trailer, tearing large holes in the pressurized aluminum tank. It was a very expensive mess and all my fault. Now, in the April 2021 General Conference, Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf gave what to me was a monumental message. He said, and I quote, Because of Jesus Christ, our failures do not have to define us. They can refine us. Like a musician rehearsing scales, we can see our missteps, our flaws and sins as opportunities for greater self-awareness, deeper and more honest love for others, and refinement through repentance. If we repent, he said, mistakes do not disqualify us. They are part of our progress. We are all, Elder Uchtdorf said, infants compared to the beings of glory and grandeur we are destined to become. No mortal being advances from crawling to walking to running without frequent stumbles, bumps, and bruises. That is how we learn. Yes, the world is in turmoil, and yes, we have weakness, but we do not need to hang our heads in despair because we can trust God. We can trust his son, Jesus Christ. And we can accept the gift of the Spirit to guide us on this path toward a life filled with joy and divine happiness. End of quote. Well, that idea changed my eternal perspective, my whole way of viewing the world. I've always been one to let my mistakes and my weaknesses linger, define me, govern me, and drag me down endlessly. I remember my mistakes even from a child, and they still haunt me. Well, I know that I can't forget them, but I don't have to let them define who I am as a person. My sins and my mistakes and my weaknesses, when I repent and when I keep trying, they are my opportunities for growth. I now know that it is better to acknowledge the mistake repent, and then push it behind me forcefully, if I have to, and go on. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Now, that accident forever changed the way I drove big rigs and even little rigs, cars. I learned from it. From that point forward, there was no more lazy, casual driving of a big rig. It was two hands on the wheel, always alert and working diligently to keep that huge monster safely and always between the two lines. If your life is a wreck, get back up on your wheels and roll on. Force the foolishness of your past into the past 
and let yourself be happy. It is with Christ your right. Pardon the phrase, but I learned from Elder Uchtdorf that I am not a permanent screw-up. I'm a son of God. End of story. Second story. I don't know about you, and so I'm going to speak for myself, but revelation is, for some of us, hard to distinguish because, as it says in the Doctrine and Covenants, it often comes in the form of ideas. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. Well, in my mind, revelation comes, as Joseph said, as sudden strokes of ideas, or to the heart as feelings, urges, and impressions that I ought to do or not do something. It's hard to distinguish sometimes because whether it's me or God, we're talking to the same head and we're talking to the same heart. Question is, who's talking, me or him? So that's why sometimes it's hard for me to tell which one is, where's that idea coming from? Where's that impression coming from? Well, with that in mind, consider this simple yet elegant miracle. And my thanks to Don Ormsby and his sweetheart for sharing it with me. It impressed me. He describes, and I quote the story as Don gave it to me. Senior missionaries serve six months of the year at the Mormon Handcart Historic Sites in Wyoming. Those at Martin's Cove stay in their RVs at a special campsite, he said, 10 miles to the west of the cove and drive in daily to serve in many different ways around the area, such as the visitor center, out on the tracks and trails, handling a multitude of maintenance tasks. There's all kinds of things that they do. Now, one of those couples is the Ormsby's. They're from right here in Syracuse. And they told me this wonderful story. It's titled, The Miracle of the Ring. We know how important a wedding ring is to a couple. Sister Ormsby found that her precious wedding ring was missing one day, and the couple spent many hours scouring their RV to find it, but to no avail. After a few days, they sadly determined that there was nothing they could do. The ring that helped seal their sweet and sacred union in the temple would never be found. Many weeks later, the Ormsby's, as they usually did, drove the 10 miles to the site, Martin's Cove, for their day's labors. Brother Ormsby had the habit of always carefully backing the car into a parking spot next to the other missionaries along the long line of willow trees adjoining the Sweetwater River. For some reason, on this day, he seemed to have difficulty deciding which open parking spot he should choose. He backed into one spot, pulled out, and picked another one. Now, that wouldn't do, so he picked another one, and then another. No particular reason, he recalled, just an uneasy feeling that made him feel a bit silly at the time. Can you imagine that? Pulling in, pulling out, pulling in, pulling out, back and forth. Finally, as they found a spot and parked, the couple opened the car doors. Brother Ormsby glanced down beside the car as he got out and saw an unusual round marking in the dirt. 
a spot that was slightly damp from the previous night's rainstorm. At first glance, he thought it was just some piece of metal hardware or something that had dropped, perhaps from one of the maintenance vehicles that passed through the area. Normally, as you can imagine, such an item on the ground would not interest him. But for some reason, he decided to reach down and retrieve the piece of hardware and return it to the workshop. Much to his amazement, as you may have guessed. On the edge of this round metal object, pressed down into the damp soil, was a beautiful diamond. It was, in fact, the missing wedding ring of his sweetheart, not lost in their RV, as they had supposed, but ten miles away in the parking area at Martin's Cove. And from what I assume, from what Don told me, the ring was undamaged. Almost in unbelief, the Ormsbys rejoiced in their blessing and good fortune and later concluded as to how the whole story had evolved. One day, they believe, they had arrived at Martin's Cove for their missionary's duties and parked as usual near the willows and the old barn on the site where missionaries begin their daily activities. Sister Ormsby took a moment to apply some hand lotion, removing her wedding ring in the process, and then stepped out of the car. Somehow in the process, apparently she had put her wedding ring in her lap, and in leaving the car, she did not notice that her ring fell off her lap and onto the dirt and gravel parking lot. Since her duties that day involved difficult outdoor work, she never noticed that the ring was gone, no doubt later on, assuming that she had left it in their RV to protect it. Three weeks without that ring, they were resigned to the fact that they would never find it again. The miracle of the wedding ring came to pass one Brother Ormsby couldn't make up his mind which parking spot to choose for the day. Revelation? You can bet on it. Sometimes so subtle, you don't know where it comes from. I share that story because if you're like me, stubborn, strong-minded, and willful, sometimes it's really hard to not second-guess those impressions. But bless you, when you do, when you just obey. This next story is not really a story, kind of heavy. For most of us, memory is a choice. Okay, now let me clarify. I understand that people that get to be, well, with white and blue hair are always saying, my memory's failing, I can't help it. I'm not talking about that. For most of us, Memory is a choice. If we, barring the physiological malfunctions that rob some of us of our memories, most of us remember what we choose to remember. We seldom forget those things that are the most cherished unless we choose to forget them. It is with that idea about memory that I share the following. It was 74 B.C., and the 18th year of the reign of the judges, when Alma gathered his sons to him, 
the declining spiritual state of the people concerned Alma the prophet, so much so that Alma the father felt the need to gather his sons and instruct them and prepare them for the world ahead. Some of you understand precisely what would have motivated this patriarchal father to do this. He called Helaman, the eldest of the sons, first. Now, consider this. Try to think ahead of me. If you were Alma, and the world in which you were living was quickly declining into anarchy and chaos, what would you counsel your son? Of all the things this great and good and wise father could say to prepare his sons for a declining world, what would it be? He said, quote, My son, give ear to my words. For I swear unto you that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. Now, as a father, that I would have expected. But the second thing he deemed as most important is the point of this story. He said, quote, I would that ye should do as I have done in remembering the captivity of our fathers, for they were in bondage, and none could deliver them except it was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and he surely did deliver them in their afflictions. End of quote. Remember the captivity of your fathers? So much did this point matter to Alma that he would say it again to Helaman and to his other sons. Now, I ask you, the Book of Mormon is no accident. The teachings have been canonized because the Lord wanted them to be. Why is it so imperative to remember? Remember the captivity of your fathers. I answer, because Jesus Christ is the God of freedom now and forever. And we must not forget that freedom, spiritually, civilly, personally, politically, freedom is a gift, not to be sacrificed lightly. Perhaps at this juncture, it is well to remind us, you, me, and our nation, of the captivity of our fathers. Remember Father Abraham, bound to an altar in Ur of the Chaldees, with his father having delivered him and a priest about to slay him, and then being delivered by the Lord and his angel and sent on to a promised land of liberty. Remember our father, Joseph of Egypt, in an Egyptian prison with no hope, being delivered by the power of God and going on to become a savior temporally of his people, the tribes of Israel. And of that, remember the tribes of Israel in hard bondage in Egypt, being delivered by Jehovah through Moses. Or remember our father Lehi in flight from Jerusalem, escaping the mobs by the power of the Lord at the last moment and being taken to a land of liberty and freedom, 
Remember the captivity of Lehi. Remember March 1770 and the Boston Massacre. Or April 1775 and the slaughter at Lexington. Remember December 1776 and the army of Washington trapped against the Delaware with no hope. Remember the winter of 1777 and the suffering soldiers of the Revolution at Valley Forge. Remember the captivity and the incalculable suffering and chaos of the American Civil War, where over 500,000 died. Can we ever afford to go there as a nation again? And again, even more personal. Remember Liberty Jail. Remember October 30th, 1838, and the Massacre of Martyrs at Hans Mill, Missouri. Remember June 27th, 1844, and the martyrdom of Joseph and Hiram at Carthage, where they were held captive by a mob. Remember February 1846, when our people were in bondage as a body in Illinois, and the Almighty, through the prophet Brigham Young, led our people to freedom out of Nauvoo and into the valleys of the Rocky Mountains. Remember November 1856, and the Willie and Martin Handcart Companies and the Hunt and Hodgett Wagon Companies trapped and suffering on the high plains of Wyoming and living and dying in glorious faith, martyrs to their faith. Remember, remember, remember the captivity of our fathers and that they were delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, is, and forever and will forever be the God of freedom and liberty. If you remember this, cherish this freedom and protect it personally, politically, civilly, nationally, morally, and you never forget that captivity, you too will be free. I remember the captivity of my sins. I should. I do. They don't have to define me, but I refuse to forget. Jason asked me, and I think it's a good idea, that at least one of my stories should come from one of my books. I would like to share a story with you from this book. It's probably one of the first books I ever published. It's called In the Midst of Thee, Volume 1. And I shared this story in part mm, somewhere during one of these firesides, but I'll share it again in whole right here. There is danger in taking some things for granted. That is a lesson I learned a few years ago when I was asked by a friend to break a horse. Well, I was excited. It had been a long time since I had done that, and I was eager to do it again. And by the way, the saddle that's sitting right over there is the saddle that I used. So I loaded up my family and drove over to take a look at the horse I was supposed to break. The horse turned out to be a large three-year-old Appaloosa gelding, fatter than a butterball. I climbed through the fence and he came right up to me. 
figure, well, that's a good sign. At least he wasn't running to the other side of the pasture, snorting and bucking. Well, I was under the impression that this horse was already broke and that I was just being asked to finish him off, to polish his training. Well, he seemed really gentle, had a good disposition, so I saddled him, bridled him, no problem right there, and right there in the pasture, I stepped up into the middle of him. However, when I tried to line him out, tried to get him to move and to neck rein, he wouldn't. All he would do is fight me. And I thought, this horse is just being ornery and stubborn. So the harder he fought me, the harder I fought him. We went back and forth, and I was determined he was not going to get away with his bad behavior. He was going to do things my way or else. It did not even occur to me at the time that that poor horse had no idea what I wanted him to do. He wasn't broke. Well, finally, in frustration, fighting the reins and the bit, he threw his head up in the air and reared up. He went higher and higher until he completely lost his balance and went over backward. Now, my dad had taught me ever since I was just a little shaver that when a horse does that, you just push away, slide off, and pull him over backwards. Finish it off. It'd been a lot of years and I was out of practice. So when that horse went over, I went over with him. And when he came down, guess what? He came down right on top of me. Well, I can't wait to get to heaven and see the video of this one because it, it had to have been hilarious. It would have been one of those videos I could have sent in and made some money off of. Well, to make a long and very embarrassing story, much shorter, when he finally scrambled back to it, he was lying on top of me and my legs one leg was under him, and he squirmed and rolled and finally got up. When he finally got up, I was hurt. I couldn't breathe, couldn't move. My wife came running over and said, are you all right? And I, and when I finally managed to choke out, I said, my legs, my legs. I couldn't feel my legs. She looked down and she says, they're still there. Thanks, dear. When I finally was able to get my breath and get back up, well, that was a painful experience. Well, needless to say, from that day on, I handled that horse much more gently and started over and started him training right. I never again took him for granted. And um, I learned what he was capable of. I learned that if treated properly, great power came from that horse. My seminary students thought it was hilarious when I went back to class the next day and I couldn't hardly breathe. They thought it was great fun to crack jokes and get me laughing and then watch the tears just stream down my cheeks. The agony of coughing. I will never forget that. I concluded from that experience that life is like a large horse. If we get cocky, overconfident, and reckless, and don't proceed carefully, cautiously, with prayer, faith, and obedience, life may wind up sitting squarely on our chest, and we are down and out 
injured and gasping for air. In short, life can be dangerous. Handle it with great care. Oh, and just in case you were wondering, some of you would want to know this. I did finally get back up out of the dust and climb back up in the saddle, and I won the day, but smarter this time. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.